The political field is all about reputation, so don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from GoDaddy.com. Your political career depends on it. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. Fantastic guests with us again today. And thank you, our our friend of the program, returning guest, uh, Mark Joseph Mongolitz. He has been doing some fantastic writing on AI, on technology. You can get uh, one of his... Uh, he just did a piece for us here on Breaking Battlegrounds. So go on our Substack and make sure you read that piece talking about AI in the upcoming election and in elections going forward, Chuck. And we're already seeing it. We're already seeing limited deep fakes. Well, you saw it with the Trump arrest, right? I was going to mention that. Yeah. And some of those were pretty blatantly fake. They, they were, but what was revealing about them was the willingness of so many partisans, essentially, to want to believe them, right? And that's, you know, the other half of any flat earth conspiracy any ponzi scheme is the willingness of the audience to be deceived it, it's actually astounding social media has given such an insight into the ability of people to believe outer nonsense well yeah because you want re you want affirmation yes. for your beliefs yeah. i mean that's that's human nature you know um you know like we both share the same hairstylist and we like to think she's nice <laughs> most of the time we know that's not true uh, <laughs> guys guys I'm looking at you this morning and I have questions. <laughs> but you know right we want affirmation. We do. And and I've I've noted before that the on the free speech side, you know, we we're we're going to be stress tested in a lot of ways and, and meaning there will be times when the kind of schadenfreude instinct will kick in. You'll be happy to see someone you disagree with deplatformed, but that's actually when you need to be most chauvinistic about free speech is when someone with whom you disagree is being um, uh, you know, exactly that deplatformed. And I think it's the same thing with a lot of these deep fakes. You know, people are they're going to want to believe the worst about their uh, whoever it is they're voting against or anyone on, on the other side. And you're going to have to resist that because... Well, here's a, here's a perfect example. A, a dear a dear friend who's older, um, she does not like Barack Obama. And she's a wonderful human being. I mean, you know, the type of person you broke down at 2 a.m., if you're sick... You, you bad, don't right? have to be a bad person not right. to like Obama. <laughs> right. But she, but she... One day we got in a pretty heavy dispute because she was saying... For some reason, she was implying he probably wasn't a good father. And I just said, there's literally no facts about that. So AI could go post, do X, Y, Z to put him in a bad light, and that's going to feed what she believes. I'm probably going to get in trouble with some conservatives, but watching from the outside, he looked like he was probably the best presidential parent of my lifetime. Well, no. I I mean, I just just think that's a lousy argument. I think they're good parents. I think they're good parents, right? Terrible argument. You could be a great parent and a lousy president on policy. They're, They're not mutually exclusive. So... Um, I mean, his, so, kids, so, his kids aren't train wrecks. Let's just start no, there. No, they're not. So now we have this. So I, I, I called Mark and said, Mark, can you write for us this article of what people should look for during the 2024 campaign cycle on AI? So Mark uh, graciously wrote an article, How to Prevent AI from Tricking Us in the 
2024 election. It's on the Breaking Battleground Substack. It's on our social media. It's got a lot of um, traffic on our on our oh. Facebook and, and Twitter. I mean, that's been fantastic. So let's go through, Mark, the things that people should be looking for, what they can do to combat it. I, I would guess if I was to sum it up in one word, but we, you know, we have time to fill, so we want to go further than that, is triple check your source of other people. Yeah, yeah we're, <laughs> we're all going to have to become pretty quick at cross-referencing. We're going to very, very adept at, at kind of triangulating truth. So, you know, I, I was thinking of some examples that you messaged me this morning, and I was thinking of some hypotheticals as to, you know, what could actually meaningfully impact an election. And I, I was imagining a scenario where, you know, maybe two hours before the East Coast polling places closed down, suddenly there's this TikTok screenshot going around of Chuck Todd standing in front of a completely blue map, you know, and and if that's the only resource you have is TikTok, then you should automatically go and check one other place, you know, at minimum. Probably two. Yeah, two, <laughs> hence, hence triangulate. Yeah, it should have at least three. Well, so, okay, if, if yeah. you need at least three and t- you start at TikTok, you still need three. Sure, indeed, yeah. T- TikTok, I, that may be negative one, actually, so we might need... With yeah. TikTok, you probably need four or five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but you know, memes like that can maybe keep five hundred people home in a district. You know, you you don't know how these things play. I know there were there were some complaints about uh, Fox News calling Arizona at like noon or whatever it was. You know, possibly demoralizing voters. And I don't know. If no, true, I mean it, 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 it was well, no, very early. No, no. I mean, frankly. I mean, I mean, that's a. Per- yeah. Let me give you a perfect example. So, yeah. two thousand four, I was in Florida um, helping. Um, President Bush's re-election on get out the vote. And that morning came out exit polling that showed Bush losing Florida. Mm. Now, Bush losing Florida means there's, you know, nothing else really matters at right. that time specifically. And I remember being there with the sort of this war room we had. And then it, like, it showed, I think at that time it was Senator Martinez, a Republican winning, <laughs> but Bush losing. And I immediately just started yelling the alarm. This is impossible. You can't have Martinez win and Bush lose. That did not reality. So for 30 minutes when they got that exit polling, total deflation. I mean, I don't think people are going. Then I went and brought that point and yelled and yelled it and yelled it, and then they jumped on it. And so then at that time, here's all the precincts you need to go hit, drive everybody there, we'll just take our chances. And I can see, you made a perfect example, that happening on election day in some key areas. Right, I think it. I think we saw it without the AI interference. I was going to say we, we need to not view these these instincts as being unique to AI. The the instinct to deceive, and we we've seen deceptive editing uh, by various networks, uh, you know, predating the advent of ChatGPT. Um, you know, the Fox example, and it wasn't new. I think it was like seven, but it was, I think there were still places in the East Coast that hadn't yet uh, been called, and so that was kind of an odd. Um, it was an odd sort of move on on their part, at least in the eyes of a lot of the electorate. And if you were to do something like that using AI, using some sort of deep fake technology, it might have more credence, you know, than it would have five or six years ago. If you're if you're suddenly showing, oh, hey, you know, it turns out, you know, Texas is there was purple after all, and and maybe that keeps ten thousand people home and. Um, you know, there well, were, we, we had the AG's race here get decided by a few hundred votes. Right. right. I mean, well, well, a, well, absolutely. The fact that certain segments are crying foul, people are being suppressed, I think kept people home. Right. Yeah. 
But but our 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 instincts on this they need to be politically agnostic. Meaning, if, if you see this is happening to someone in the opposite party, you need to you need to be as vigilant about that as you would with your own. Because in the absence of, of truth and trust, the republic itself wanes. I don't mean to be too philosophical. No, but about it's it, very true. But it's uh, very true. We, we, I, we can't take pleasure in falsehoods. <laughs> so uh, almost everything an AI could do, or everything an AI could do, a human hacker or a human technologist could do. Sure. Does AI have a greater ability to cover its tracks when it's doing it? Um, Ooh, great yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe more quickly, more efficiently, as as we say about everything with AI, it, it can it can maybe. You know, I, I think what AI will do will it will sort of um, it, it will render these capabilities more uh, more pervasive. You know, I think you you won't need to have any hacking expertise to engage in. In, in bad acts, um, and you can create a lot of confusion with a little bit of effort, in, unless you have an electorate that is a little bit more vigilant, a little bit more uh, protective of, of truth in a very objective sense. I mean, the the best thing I think the a lot of the left could have done would be to have immediately doubted that Trump was actually you know trying to fistfight five New York police officers, right. rather than giving them any 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 credence, um, or rather than you know broadcasting them aggressively like some of the networks were were doing. Um, not that they were buying it necessarily, but they they were kind of having fun. It seemed, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, so it was still, a joke the way it was played on a lot of those networks. It was like, oh, right. this is a joke, but that it was not a joke. For some people, it's not a joke yeah. at all. You know, and that if you actually get outside a bubble, you realize Donald Trump's not going to fight anybody, let alone five law enforcement people. So the guy's like seventy six. Yeah, mean. yeah. I mean, and you know, he wants that walk. Yeah, right. I mean, so so let's talk. Let's let's back up here. So one of your points was don't entrench yourself in the information line of a single news source. Yep. Yeah, and, and that should have been true, obviously, well before the advent of ChatGPT. But probably know. more important now. I would say more more so now, um, and and particularly if your major news sources are, or you know, for that not even news sources, but if, if your major online avenues of information are like Reddit, uh, TikTok, whatnot, it, you know, th- those are meme repositories and <laughs> TikTok uh, and Reddit never they never lie to me sure, sure, right <laughs> well I, I mean we, we, we've obviously seen we've seen dishonesty manifesting in the most you know quote credible unquote yeah we see it in New York Times all the time right and so it's not it's certainly not unique but um you know the I think the the truth triangulation uh formula is is going to be cross-referencing as as much as possible the other thing that i i mentioned in, in the piece was that there's a robotics term called the uncanny valley and some of your listeners might know it but it's about 50 years old um it's a, a roboticist named um uh mori who uh, i think is a mahi mahihiro mori might be off on that name but um essentially his um his theory was that the closer in likeness to a, a human face, a robot face, becomes, the more eerie it seems, and and that there's a valley separating the the you from the um, essentially what what it's supposed to be. Uh, isn't isn't that why they always say like in animated shows they they have to stop before it gets too human looking? Well, yeah, because it gets kind of creepy. Um, and a good example, I think uh, IndieWire did a review of that Lion King movie from 2018, and they they called it like a, a like a descent into the uncanny valley or something like that. And and it's true when when you look at those lions, they almost look real, but something's not quite right. And 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 that's 
you know. Well, there's a, there's a great link you put in your piece, Detect Deep Fakes, How to yeah. Counteract Misinformation Created by AI. And one of the things they said is um, high-end deep fake manipulations are almost always facial transformations. Yep. Pay attention to the cheeks and forehead. Does the skin appear too smooth or too wrinkly? It's the agedness of the skin similar to the agedness of the hair and eyes. Deep fakes may be incongruent on some dimensions. Right, and and these these things will get better, but I don't know that they'll ever be 100%. I think our, our instincts for, you know, certainly for human faces, and we've evolved over millions of years to to perceive a lot from human faces. There, so. there's, there's another point here I want to make here. We've got about a minute left. Um, you wrote a point number five. There's good reason for skepticism these days. Don't let hysteria dominate. So, for example, yeah. let's use the for example the Trump arrest, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm still pretty sure most papers would have covered that on a front page if he had actually been arrested in a Correct. handcuff, right? I mean, yeah. sometimes you have to use some common sense, right? Yeah, it, it, it's just <laughs> again the 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 heart sinking aspect of that was how willing so many people oh. were to believe it, and that's. I'm reminded a, a little bit of uh, who was the woman who, who testified that Trump had tried to leap over the the seat uh, on inauguration day, right? And, and see, like that, that's in just, the limousine, it correct? Just, like, yeah, it that, never that, happened. That didn't happen, right? There's right. Just, you know, the man what, has no ability to make that happen. Well, and, and and that aside, just whatever you want to believe about the guy, that that never sounded credible. But a lot of people really wanted to believe it because they hate him so much. Yeah, absolutely. Breaking battlegrounds coming right back with more from Mark Joseph Mongolitz in just a moment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. In studio with us this morning, Mark Joseph Mongolitz, Scottsdale-based content manager for a financial newsletter, The Haymaker. It's on Substack, right? It is, yes. And uh, are you on Twitter also? Uh, Haymaker is on Twitter. Hay- yeah. Haymaker is yeah. on Twitter. I, I think I have a semi-dormant account somewhere out there of my own. <laughs> okay, but, but The Haymaker yeah, does Haymaker have it. Haymaker, yes. right. Yep. Yeah. So okay. you can find it there, folks. You can yeah. find it on Substack. Uh, we're talking AI, potential deep fakes, and... Boy, this the White House is clearly going to be all over this one. Indeed, yeah. Uh, and Chuck and I were just talking a moment ago. Uh, Kamala Harris, I suppose, in the same way she took on the border, is taking on AI uh, <laughs> at this juncture. And and I, I think um, you know we spoke last time. I don't recall at what length, but we we did speak briefly on the role of government in this field. And I, it's not so much a matter of of the willingness. I think if 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 the willingness is there. You know, Godspeed. I don't know about the capability. You know, well, yeah, but I, I think, but I do it. think there has to be. So the first thing that's wrong with this meeting, they had Kamala Harris, and, and I'm glad. Look, I'm glad they at least they're trying to starting sure, something, yeah. right? But, I mean, kudos to it. But yes. it has to happen. It does. I, I mean, honestly, I think it's a much bigger I mean, discussion even than they're leading right. into. So I, it, I mean, if you listen to Elon Musk and some others, the concern over this should be well, a much broader discussion. In Elon society. Musk, America's favorite libertarian, is says government needs to regulate this. Yes. I mean, I mean, he's seen it. He understands it. So they had the chief executives from Alphabet, Microsoft, OpenAI. They came to the White House. They had Harris, for some reason, do this. I mean, there's like probably a dozen other people in that administration better equipped to do this. Um, thing that was disappointing to me, they should have had some Republican, former Republican senators and former Republican governors. So if you say if you want to take politics out of it, bring someone like Ducey in. Well, right? Doug, Doug Ducey would be an excellent choice. Yeah. I think actually, I think you bring up a great point, Chuck. I think a governor, a former governor who has some sort of tech and business background, you know, whatever you can find in that. I think that's the right kind of person to lead this. Kamala Harris, her only value to this would be if she can teach AI to be more transparent that it's AI. 
with statements like today is today and um, like <laughs> yesterday was yesterday. So, yeah, exactly. So I, I think that they should bring on former governors and senators, sort of try to take this partisan political angle out sort of Sort of it. like the, um, what was that, the uh, uh, Lee Hamilton, right? Was yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, I yeah. think you've got to get some serious people who were recently in office. They can't be old. They've got to understand something about technology. But what do you think they should be focusing on with this, these meetings that the White House is now putting together? Yeah, I, I think some measure of account. So there was a... Um, we were talking a little bit about you know kind of the partisan uh, instinct on on this matter, and I know a couple months ago people were running this experiment where they would ask the um, they'd ask ChatGPT to write a poem about uh, about Trump and you know favorable poem of course, and it was, it was like sorry we don't engage in politics, and then asking the same about Biden, and it was like you know Biden a man of courage and valor right it's it's so it's so clearly lopsided. Um, you know, I, I would say rather than going right to the legislation, right, I would say just appeal to the better instincts of these people and say, like, look, if, if you're going to do this, if you're going to dump this on humanity and ask us to just adjust to it, you know, there's nothing democratic about technology. It's just released into the wild. And, and if it renders your job obsolete, you know, sorry, <laughs> here we are. So if we're being forced to contend with this, you know, let's at least do so from something like a level playing field. We're always hearing about leveling the playing field, um, you know, from this administration and and whatnot. So let's let's do it here. And I mean, you know, the the interesting thing about this is AI has so much potential for good. To, for good, but at the same time, it's going to be so massively disruptive. As you were you were talking right there, I couldn't stop and help but think. Okay, wait, government regulates this, but here's the thing: AI has the potential to erase about a third of the people who work for the government. Well, no, it's they're doing really so, simple jobs that you, AI could probably already a, do. A perfect example: so when Romney decided to run for Senate, he brought about 30, 40 of us together for a fundraising thing. You know, it's everybody maxing out, and somebody asked a question: "What are the things you're worried about?" And it was <laughs> this is two thousand seventeen, right? And he said, "I'm worried about China." which then, you know, we're still kid gloves with China. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about China. He goes, this debt is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. It's going to ruin us as a country. And the third thing he said, which everybody's like, he goes, this technological transformation, he didn't determine as AI, but that's what he's getting at. He goes, it's going to make a third of the jobs obsolete. And if we don't figure out a plan to take care of those people who lose the jobs, we're going to have a real problem. Well, and I think actually it has the potential to make more than that. I mean, we're well, already right, seeing, right. right? Like, so, but, but no one else was talking about that. Seventeen. No, so, so a, a friend of mine uh, made a bit of a mistake. I think a few years ago, he bought four Wiener Schnitzel <laughs> in Southern California. Mm. He's losing his butt, right? I mean, right before the pandemic, and even I haven't with seen all one that, of those forever. Yeah, <laughs> um, he just replaced almost all the workers and all of them with machines. So they're automated. They wrap, they cook yeah. the hot dogs, they wrap it, right. they dress it, they do the whole thing. So he has one person in the store who stocks and keeps yeah, the machine. Yeah, and that'll probably be another year or so um, before you know you have some sort of, I don't know, advanced Roomba doing that job. But uh, what's not going to be good enough as a starting point is this idea, this techno-utopian idea that for every one job destroyed, 10 new ones will be created. No. You know, I heard... Um, 
uh, David Friedberg of the All In podcast is kind of making that case that you know we're we're being short sighted now and, and uh, so many jobs are going to go away, but it's going to open a lot of doors. I don't know. Uh, the, the reason I don't I don't know is because I think it's a very mixed bag, right? It, it may open some doors, but it's going to close a lot too. Yeah, and and we're because now we're encroaching on mental labor, right? Right. Wait, so, so with a, with you know, so we saw this week civics education kids can't pass anything regarding history of this country. So we're expecting an education system that can't prepare kids for the most fundamental things is going to prepare them for this AI workforce because right, it's it, there's jobs that are going to take mental acuity. Right. They're going to take some book smarts. We're not preparing kids for that. And you know, because we're too busy on other things that don't matter. Well, you're talking about history here. What about the ability of AI to rewrite history? So that, that's I mean, the, that's you know, Chuck. You had asked me earlier about you know, specific examples of how the you know how, how electoral politics could could be impacted by AI, and and one is just simply what you know what he was just saying there. <laughs> we could we could have an instance where history is being rewritten on the sources people trust. Right. So people go to Wikipedia, and maybe certain aspects of a candidate's background, you know, well, it, it could be the, are, 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 the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. I mean, this thing could go lit into their websites and rewrite old articles sure, um, or, or, or suppress them. I and mean, we, we've seen this on a lower grade scale with the way search uh, results are, are you know, deranked or whatever it is. Um, now, that's just, again, search. You talk about content being being revised and now you're 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 creating you know different narratives for people to follow and again people are going to want to believe either the best or the worst um and the affirmation impulse is is very very strong uh, we, we, we've seen that in in recent months um and we've also seen kind of an unwillingness um to seek out the better angels i suppose in our in our adversaries you know uh, this is kind of a topic but like the mar-a-lago raid and whatnot that's the sort of thing that 15 years ago would have been a source of outrage, I think, for almost everyone in the country because it was just so over the top. Like, did, did it need to be that you know, sort of but not now uh, sort of aggressive, right? And so if, now it gets cheered by half and yeah. decried by half. And right. and, and I, by the way, I'm an independent saying this. You know, I'm I'm not I, I wasn't coming at this from the from the MAGA perspective. I'm coming at this from why is all of this necessary? And if you have people cheering it on, Mark, how do people find you? Uh, they can find me uh, at opinionsimpending.substack. Uh, uh, dot com and uh, as was said earlier, I am also the content manager for Haymaker. You can find all of our work at Haymaker.substack. And that's on Twitter as well and so forth. It is, yes, sir. Fantastic. Mark, thanks for coming in. Everybody go check out the article How to Prevent AI from Tricking Us in 2024. Chuck and Sam, visit us at vote. At Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Folks, are you concerned with stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? What if you can invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market? A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There's no loss of principle if you need your money back at any time. 
Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate up to 10.25%. That's right, folks, up to 10.25%. And the company is Invest with Y-Refi, a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn again up to 10.25%. Go to Invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. That's investyrefi.com, or call them at 888-YREFI24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. Next up with us on the line, Jimmy Quinn, National Security Correspondent for National Review, previously a William F. Buckley Fellow in Political Journalism at the National Review Institute, and he's been covering some of the goings-on in China, particularly uh, a little bit of a censorship incident via TikTok that just came up. Jimmy, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the program. It's great to be on with you. Uh, so you had a fantastic piece that I, I, sh- I read and shared the other day. Um, probably a lot of folks here in, in this country don't know happened. Uh, TikTok suspending libertarian think tank that posted about Hong Kong and Jimmy Lai. And then very shortly afterwards, a, another article where TikTok claimed it was a technical error. Can you start by telling us what happened with this incident? So this is really part for the course where TikTok once again took down an account temporarily that had posted about something that is politically sensitive in China. The Acton Institute is a think tank based out in Michigan, and they recently uh, produced a documentary on Jimmy Lai, who is a Hong Kong pro-democracy icon. Uh, he, was, uh, uh, he, he led a media outlet there that was very vocally uh, pro-democracy. Um, and he's been imprisoned in Hong Kong by the CCP-backed authorities uh, over that stance. Um, so this documentary was really getting the word out about that situation and talking about uh, the Chinese Communist Party's takeover uh, of the city and the crackdown against democracy there. Um, so what happened was the Acton Institute, they went on TikTok, they posted six videos about this documentary. Uh, so it was mostly trailers and uh, Te- teasers, uh, essentially, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just uh, it was just a few teasers. Um, and obviously, you know, they featured interviews with people who were talking about uh, the Hong Kong pro-democracy crackdown, um, as well as, you know, the, the situation with Jimmy Lai right now. Um, so what happened was initially, I guess this would have been in late April, one of the videos was taken down. Um, and apparently it was because TikTok had flagged it as engaging in abusive behavior. Um, but, <laughs> Considering uh, they, the content on TikTok, that's a pretty extraordinary label. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, but it, it featured a one-minute-long clip with uh, scenes of protesters being attacked by police and the police fire and tear gas. Um, so I guess TikTok's story was that uh, they temporarily took it down because there was violence in it. Uh, they eventually restored it after the Acton Institute appealed. Uh, but then on Tuesday, so this past Tuesday, the Acton Institute's entire account was taken down. They were suspended, uh, and they were, uh, at least for that time, kicked off of the platform. So the following day, the Acton Institute tweeted about it. They wanted to get the word out because they couldn't even get on TikTok to appeal the suspension. Um, and uh, that, that's when I reported on it. Uh, so that that would have been Wednesday afternoon. Uh, later that evening, the Wall Street Journal editorial board wrote an op-ed uh, or wrote an editorial explaining the situation, uh, and the account still had not been restored. So that was over a day. 
Um, and then, uh, like two hours after the Wall Street Journal's editorial went up, TikTok said, oh, it was an error and, uh, you know, the, the account has been restored. Um, so I, I reached out to them the next day and they said, oh, it's a technical error. Sometimes things happen. We have an automated system that flags suspicious behavior. Um, but of course, the only suspicious behavior here uh, was posting these videos about Hong Kong and Jimmy Lai. Uh, so that's what has, has a lot of people up in arms right now. Um, but it, it's part of a broader pattern. We've seen this before where content that's critical of the CCP gets taken down and then people notice it. They speak up about it and then TikTok restores it and they say, oh, we're, we're so sorry. That was a mistake. Um, so this is not the first time this has happened. <laughs> Sounds like a teenager explaining why they're late to their parents. Um, or with Jimmy Quinn. He's the national security correspondent for National Review. Jimmy, how do people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at James underscore T underscore Quinn. Or uh, you can just find me on nationalreview.com. Jimmy's going Jimmy's to be right back to us for a new segment. This is Breaking Battlegrounds. You can find us at breakingbattlegrounds.vote. This is Chuck and Sam with our honored guest, Jimmy Quinn. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. On the line with us right now, Jimmy Quinn, national security correspondent for National Review, has done some fantastic work on China, um, reporting recently on TikTok suspending a libertarian think tank that posted about a Hong Kong activist Jimmy Lai. Uh, thank you again for joining us, Jimmy. We really appreciate having you on the program one of the things when you you brought that up, they responded pretty quickly. China's government responded pretty quickly after the Wall Street Journal touched it. Are they? And I, I'm not meaning to demean National Review, which is doing some of the best work in the country. Is the Chinese government maybe more afraid of the Wall Street Journal than they are other news outlets? Because financial institutions are about the only thing they like in America. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really speaks to TikTok's sort of sneaky public relations strategy. Um, and this is a company that's owned by ByteDance, uh, which is a Chinese tech giant that is highly enmeshed in the CCP's military civil fusion uh, efforts. And they partner with all of these companies that have been labeled as official Chinese military companies by the U.S. government. Um, they, they've worked with the Chinese government on standing up an artificial intelligence institute uh, in, uh, in Beijing. Uh, so that that's really the big thing that you need to know about ByteDance and TikTok. And really, they're, they're just afraid of people exposing that. So uh, when you look at their PR strategy, uh, they really only try to respond when they're forced to. And when people start uh, pointing out these weird relationships and right. some of the, the bizarre activities that are going on. So once once you sort of get a critical mass there, right, once, uh, you know, uh, once you have an outlet like the Wall Street Journal, there, there were a few members of Congress who tweeted about this and other other big sort of personalities with uh, large Twitter following. Um, that's when you finally get a response from TikTok and an explanation, uh, because really this this account had been suspended for over a day. 
Um, and it's, it's really a, a very uh, glaring case of uh, this bizarre uh, censorship model. There, there's a story today, actually, that Forbes reported, um, and ByteDance has a list of uh, words that it monitors. So whenever you're on TikTok or TikTok's uh, uh, Chinese equivalent, Douyin, which is also run by ByteDance, or any of their other apps, they're watching for people who are talking about Hong Kong, about Taiwan, uh, about uh, the, the Chinese atrocities against Uyghurs, um, and they've got these lists of words that automatically uh, trigger uh, this sort of uh, uh, intensified uh, surveillance, let's call it, apparently. Um, so it, it's just another one of these scandals that breaks uh, almost every week now when it comes to TikTok. So, you know, for example, the New York Times had an article today, Why China's Censors Are Deleting Videos About Poverty. Uh, a very good piece if you've not seen it. Um, just talking about, you know, any they're scrubbing video and social media of anybody that shows pictures of people having a hard time buying food, living on $15 a day. Um, are people in, do you, had you traveled to China much or Hong Kong or do you travel much out there? So unfortunately I got on the seat, uh, you know, after the downturn in the U S China relationship. Mm. And I, I don't think, you know, due to my reporting that I'd be able to go there. So, but, so, but, but, but your contacts, you're not going to be their favorite. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're not on the Christmas card list. So, or the Chinese new year list. Um, my question for you then with your contacts and as you researched, what do the Chinese people feel about America? We know what the leadership does, but how do the Chinese people, the, the mom and pops, the people working, do you have any sense how they feel about the United States? Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that uh, a certain uh, you know, segment of the population really buys into uh, the party's uh, stance on any number of issues, including some of the ones that we've discussed. Um, but I, I think one thing to take away is that if you look at how the party treats Taiwan and views Taiwan as an existential threat, uh, just the very existence of a democracy, a thriving democracy uh, filled with um, people who, some of whom emigrated from the mainland, right, uh, after, after the Civil War, um, I think the party is very worried that people could uh, see Taiwan as a model for a thriving uh, Chinese democracy. Um, and that's why, uh, frankly, it's so obsessed with stamping out this vibrant, free, democratic, capitalist society that deeply values human life. I, I, I was in Taiwan uh, in the fall for a quick, you know, 10-day reporting trip, um, and it, it really is an amazing place. Um, and it is, uh, you know, kind of this counterexample of what China could be um, if it weren't for this totalitarian uh, one-party state uh, that has basically dominated the country. What do you see? Do you think? What, how do you see the United States and Chinese relationship going forward the next decade? What do, What do you see with all your reporting? You know, there was an interesting comment yesterday um, by Matt Pottinger. And he said, we saw a baby shark referring to China and thought that we could transform it into a dolphin. We kept feeding the shark and the shark got bigger and bigger. And now we're dealing with a formidable great white shark. Do you think that's a fair characterization he did there? What, what, what do you see in the next 10 years? I'm asking you to put on your, your psychic role here, but, we, we, you know, you report on it. This is your beat. Tell us about it. 
Yeah, I mean, so what we've seen over the past five years is a reversal of the previous engagement approach that we had. And that was the idea that we could basically cajole China into, or, or the Chinese Communist Party into embracing markets and therefore uh, embracing a form of liberal democracy. And that's sort of what Pottinger was getting at. He, he right. was speaking to this, this idea um, that we could make China a responsible stakeholder on the world stage. Um, and in doing so, we, we sort of gave these uh, inducements and incentives that instead strengthened uh, the, the party's most hardcore elements uh, and allowed it to emerge as this growing military uh, industrial powerhouse um, that, frankly, threatens regional, if not global, security right now uh, and is trying to promote uh, this sort of global model of uh, authoritarian uh, surveillance. Um, so o- over the next 10 years, um, I mean, yeah, you're, you're really asking me to, to look into a crystal ball here. Well, of course, we're putting uh, you on the spot. But, of course but, we are. Of course, of course, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's all right. Um, Jim, but, Jimmy uh, Dumbledore Quinn. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just, just look at what party leaders say. Uh, they, they say that they want to reunify, and I say reunify with quotes because Taiwan was never part of the government uh, run by the Communist Party. Um, they, they want to absorb Taiwan. They want to annex it, uh, potentially by force. Um, so the, the next decade is going to be defined by our ability to either uh, deter um, or uh, otherwise dissuade the party from undertaking uh such an invasion, uh, because that, that would be such a disaster, uh, not, not just for Taiwan, and it would be a humanitarian catastrophe, catastrophe in Taiwan, um, but also, also for uh, international security. I mean, we, we saw what happened when Russia went into Ukraine. Uh, a Chinese invasion of Taiwan would uh, result in consequences 10 times that, or many, many multiples that, uh, when you're talking about the effects on yeah, supply ju- chains, on, on global technology, food security, uh, whatever else. Well, in their physical security, Japan, South Korea, and all of so, East Asia would so, be in a panic. So let me ask you this. There's a talk- Absolutely. So there's a talking point. I use it. I could be totally wrong that China is watching what, we, what the world does of Ukraine. And if we push back Russia out of Ukraine... Do you think they'll be less hesitant to take violent action against Taiwan? I think that uh, I think the important thing to note here is that Russia and China are rapidly solidifying an alliance. Right before the 2022 uh, Olympics, they, they signed this uh, no limits partnership, it's called. Right. Um, and we've seen this uh, intensifying diplomatic process where the Chinese and the Russians are are getting very close. They're partnering more and more on security-related topics. Uh, The the U.S. has been trying to uh, prevent China from providing the Russians with weapons. So far, uh, the Biden administration says the Chinese have not officially really armed the Russians in their war against Ukraine. Um, So, I mean, I I think it's really difficult to speak to uh, the way that China is strategically looking at the Russian invasion of Ukraine and how how that might uh, affect Taiwan. But I I think it's very clear that if Ukraine is successful uh, and continues to be successful in um, repelling Russia's invasion, uh, Russia will be all the more weaker for it. 
And it's going to be harder for that uh, Sino-Russian alliance to really throw its weight around uh, and to uh, exert influence around the world and uh, intimidate other countries uh, in the orbits of Russia and China. Yeah, as much as we're draining our coffers and our military reserves, it's much more significant drain on their end. At well, this they just—I mean, I just, they just popped up on my news feed that uh, the Russian mercenary chief, the Wagner Group, is pulling out. They just said we're going to pull out and lick our wounds. Wow, uh, Jimmy, want to not so much shift gears, but but uh, something related. You had a great piece. China hacking threat rises, yet FBI is mandated to spend millions on zero emission vehicles. I thought that piece was sort of a microcosm of the the conflict right now, the state of conflict between our government and China's, where one is laser focused on their geopolitical aims and the other one is just filled with nonsense right now. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, the article that you're referring to, it, it was about this really, uh, I think, revealing moment that happened on Capitol Hill a few days ago where Christopher Ray, the FBI director, was testifying before Congress about the FBI's budget request. Um, and basically, there's this one congressman who pointed out, uh, oh, you're, you're only asking for $5 million more compared with last year's request uh, for the FBI's counterintelligence uh, operation, but you're asking for $14 million uh, to uh, have this fleet of uh, zero emission uh, zero emission vehicles, um, and he asked Ray, "What's going on here? Why are you asking for so much money for EVs when uh, you know you really need a lot more money to go after uh, you know Chinese uh, intelligence threats uh, in the U.S.?" Um, and Ray basically said, uh, "Well." Uh, it's all about an executive order. We have to comply with that, and uh, there's, there's really nothing we can do. Uh, the executive order says that, you know, we need to spend some money on uh, zero-emission vehicles and uh, have a fleet of those vehicles. Um, but uh, he also said we're, we are spending hundreds of millions of dollars already on counterintelligence operations. So, I mean, it, it just goes to some of the competing priorities here. I, I, I think many people, especially on Capitol Hill, would be uh, more favorable to having every last cent possible dedicated to counterintelligence operations. Because during that hearing, Ray also said that even if all of the FBI's uh, cybersecurity personnel were focused on China, they would still be uh, uh, outgunned. 50 to 1. They would be outmanned 50 to oh 1 um, compared to Chinese hackers. Um, so and that, that really, doesn't count up all the Russian hackers, too. Exactly, exactly. Wow. So, uh, yeah, a lot of our counterintelligence and uh, cybersecurity efforts are uh, relatively underfunded when you're looking at the scale of the threats that they need to counter. Um, and yet the FBI is forced to spend $14 million on zero emission vehicles right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is something that really shows how people uh, might need to get focused on these threats and uh, try not to get distracted by other, other things. Well, you have been fantastic, and um, we appreciate you coming on today. Um, Jimmy, would you please tell people again how they follow your work, um, where they go, um, how they can follow you? Sure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you can go to nationalreview.com or follow me on Twitter at, at James underscore T underscore Quinn. Jimmy, thanks a million. We hope you'll join us again soon. We loved having you. 
Thank you so much. Have a great day. This is Breaking Battlegrounds. We appreciate you joining us. Um, visit us on your local radio station that we're on or visit our podcast. Give us a good ranking. Share it with your friends. Subscribe, download, share. Do all those things that help us out, folks. Just do something. Don't be lazy. Have a great weekend, folks. Welcome to the podcast-only segment of Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Chuck Moore and I'm Sam Stone. Thank you to both of our guests today. They were fantastic, Mark Joseph Mongolitz and Jimmy Quinn. Chuck, it's been one of those weeks when all sorts of craziness keeps happening. That It's, it's very dystopian well, I, I almost feel like watching the news. I feel like we mention this every week, and I don't think that's going to stop in our lifetime. Um, Unfortunately. I think, I think that's where we're at now. Yeah, right? and I think, and I think part of it is I'm not sure the world's any crazier in some ways, like the '60s or '70s. But it's just it's a constant flow of information. So, like in the mornings, you and I get up, we'll look at news for the show. I can, you know, I can spend four or five hours. Well, and I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example that's tearing up the airwaves right now. This whole thing with this guy Neely who was killed on the New York subway by, right. by someone who put him in a stranglehold. Like 20 years ago, there were no cell phones. There were no video on that train, no nothing like that. That would have been a two-paragraph story at the bottom of the New York papers. Well, yeah, and so what you're hearing now, I mean, that's a great great point to talk about. So we have this situation, Jordan Neely, he was a Michael Jackson impersonator. Probably a lot of people in New York had seen him. Um, and so um, the problem is you have people protesting now he was dead. Okay, he's, and he, you know, he was he was killed. Mm-hmm. Um he was a mentally disturbed schizophrenic, right? Yeah. He was belligerently harassing passengers on the Manhattan subway. And he, he had was, quote, numerous arrests. 40. 40. And, quote, he said, I want food. I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm ready to go to jail. So an unidentified Marine, former Marine, put him in chalk hold, held him probably too long. No reason for that. But, no, but, but, but this shows but, the difficulty police have in these situations. Well, it shows the difficulty right? police I mean, have, and you don't know that time goes. I mean, right. he was obviously— The guy's three, struggling. It took three people, yeah. right? And, you know, he's had a long history of terrorizing subway passengers. These idiots protest him. Look, his death's tragic. He should have been in a hospital. He should have been under care. It's the same way with this guy in Atlanta. That That's, shot these people this week. That, Again, the system failed, but we're going to keep putting laws, and we can't keep the laws we have from help, helping people now. Right. That's the major issue. You know, one of the things that came up, so I actually commented on, a, on I forget which reporter's feed on that story, and I said, listen, as long as we continue to enforce the law less and less, the government backs off from enforcing the law, you're going to see more and more actions like this of vigilantism across the U.S. You're already seeing it. And the tragic consequences from not enforcing the law in the first place are endemic in society right now. That's our pandemic that we're dealing with is this violence. So two major incidences this week, that one and the shooting in Atlanta, both gentlemen should have been under the care. They should have been hospitalized. They should have been. We have rules to take care of these folks. And the system failed. But what we're going to have is we're going to have this idiot brag who's going to be responsible for deciding whether to charge or not. It's going to charge this 24-year-old former Marine 
who is basically helping people. Who knows what Jer- Jordan would have done? Oh, look, he might have had a knife, pulled it. I mean, that's it's the just, problem they don't with the situation. You don't know. And, you know, I, this whole thing comes down to, and I got into it with, with someone who argued, well, the U.S. has every, you know, this huge prison population. Well, here's one of the big differences that nobody touches on. In Europe, you can put someone who is mentally insane in treatment again, in patient treatment against their will, and you can't do it here. People, I love people like to mention Europe on some things, but don't realize how aggressive they are on things like this. It's like, I mean, the abortion laws that in Europe Nancy are Pelosi very, are very strict. They're fifteen yeah. weeks. Yeah, in some cases, twelve. Yeah, and yeah. so they, you know, they like to do, but there they take this type of thing very seriously. So it's 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 a tragedy. This young man's dead. Um, but again, this is the system. This is law enforcement not being done. This is not taking care of people. I mean, he, we like to say the term fell through the cracks, but no, that's did. what happened here. Well, I wouldn't, I would not say well, 40 times. He didn't fall through the cracks. He wasn't 40 times. Right? I think he was dropped out of the basket. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, that's no way. Look, all these people protesting his tragic death today don't care about him. No. They just, they're just full of lies. This is a left-right political issue for them that has nothing to do with the, the actual human outcomes from all these incidents. You have some great um, – you have, you have two topics you want to discuss. I want to just bring up here the Tucker Carlson episode this week. So people, as you know, um, there's a bunch of Tucker Carlson bashing, and it seems to be backfiring. They keep <laughs> – they keep releasing these text messages or videos, and people are sort of like, well, yeah, so. Yeah. But there's one that's been taken out, comment by the New York Times, which they suggest Tucker Carlson's racist. Here's the full text. Kylie, this is for you, okay? A couple of weeks ago, I was watching video of people fighting on the street in Washington. A group of Trump guys surrounded an Antifa kid and started pounding the living bleep out of him. It was three against one at least. Jumping a guy like that is dishonorable, obviously. It's not how white men fight, yet suddenly I found myself rooting for the mob against the man, hoping they'd hit him harder, kill him. I really wanted him to hurt the kid. I think we've all had this feeling of the antifa. You've had, yeah. No, that's real. He continues, I could taste it. Then somewhere deep in my brain, an alarm went off. This isn't good for me. I'm becoming something I don't want to be. The, the creep is a human being. Much as I despise what he says and does, much as I'm sure I'd hate him personally if I knew him, I shouldn't gloat over his suffering. I should be bothered by it. I should remember that somewhere somebody probably loves this kid and would be crushed if he was killed. If I don't care about those things, if I reduce people to their politics, how am I better than he is? I, I think that's a very honest conversation. That, that is that is actually a deeply reflective, personally honest conversation that lots more people in this country need to have with themselves. I mean, and we've caught it. We've seen these rascals out I, there. I've and, had and, that and, and, exact and, reaction. And, and I've had to walk away and say, I don't want to be this person. Right. And I've had that exact same thought. And the fact that whoever's leaking these doesn't see that human experience that human being working through this makes them a disgusting human being. Well, the the, the selective leaks so far Ugh. are far more indicative of the mindset of the people doing the leaking which, than of which Tucker goes, Carlson. Which goes back to Mark's point in his great article he did for us. You need to check various sources. Whenever you see a quote, I always do this. I like to go back on it. It's sort of like the lunacy 
of some Trump supporters saying Soros endorsed Ron DeSantis. So you know what? Actually, Chuck, this is really relevant. So I do not as consistently, folks, as I should, and I'm I'm working on that time-wise, the Battlegrounds Watch reports. One of the things I've found with those is I try to find non-paywalled sources for the thing. So it may be an article that's in the New York Times, but often you can find like the Birmingham News Mm -hmm. has it copied over, right? Right, right. Um, But in doing that, I keep finding discrepancies, real ones. Very much so. That So it's obviously source reporting, but then they're being picked and chosen over by these various news outlets when they're putting them out. So that – what he was talking about in terms of having multiple sources, and I have really gained a lot when I do that from seeing how different outlets are taking the exact same material and representing it. Absolutely. Let's talk about the studies um, you were talking about um, earlier. Yeah. So it, it just came out um, three medical schools in North Carolina – are now diagnosing toddlers who play with stereotypically opposite gender toys as having gender dysphoria and are medically transitioning them. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, you know, you just can't do that to a child. Well, th- th- this is the this is insanity. Oh, it's weird. I mean, it's not just weird, Chuck. This is really abusive, evil action. And these hospitals are doing it clearly for profit. 100%. Matter of fact, that brings me to the point. So we have this republic, some Republicans here in the legislature and Congress want to do this audit of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and you and I discussed this. I am convinced a bunch of hospitals do not want people to see those communications because they were making money on COVID. They made a fortune they did. on COVID. And no one talks about it. Well, so one of the things that I did actually in 2021, I went back and looked. There are very few hospitals anymore that are publicly traded companies, right? Right. Um, there's really only like one hospital group left that's a Correct. publicly traded company. It's in the South. So there's no disclosure. No, Right. From any of them, right? They're all theoretical nonprofits, and then they siphon the profits off via a related for-profit businesses like prescription benefit managers right. And, right. and so forth. But this one had to report, right? I mean, SEC. I dug in and looked at it. 2020 was their most profitable year in history. 2021, through two quarters at that point, was on track to be even more profitable. All because of COVID. And folks, by the way, that brings up a point that's totally separate from this. So when a company's public, you can get information. They have to disclose. If they don't disclose, that's where they get fined by the SEC. So one way they cleaned up Vegas... Right. Is those all those casinos became public. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, what's happened is most of these profits, these hospitals now are nonprofits or whatever the case may be, but they're not disclosing anything. And so here in Arizona, Andy Big, some legislators want to do a thorough investigation of what happened, why were decisions made, things of that nature. Uh, the hospitals, I'm, they're going to take this to court all the way. Yeah, absolutely. They are. You actually just brought up a, a- tangentially related point that kind of just connected for me with this when with the disclosure one of the things i've been talking to uh, one of my police buddies here Mm -hmm. he said that's going on is they know that the cartels have now invested heavily in the dispensary systems in all the western states of course they have right and they're they're money laundering through them yeah and he's like but because it's a schedule one drug and it's not easily banked and all this we can't actually track it it's very difficult for us now so, you know, that brings up the point. If if I were a state, I would insist that these businesses be publicly traded entities. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks, um, 
thanks for spending time with us this week. Yeah. And we hope you have a great weekend, and um, we'll talk to you next week. This is Breaking Battlegrounds. You can find us at breakingbattlegrounds.vote. Be on the watch for deep fakes. Deep fakes. Have more than one news source, folks. That's our recommendation today. Have a great week. It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from GoDaddy.com today.